0: I went, I was a bit reluctant, to be honest, because, I don't know, I kind of asked, well, I'm more comfortable with the Word or maybe next week's one. And I don't know about you, but for me, I think it's, prayer is kind of like running. I don't know if you've sort of thought of it like that before, but for me, prayer is like running. I know it's good for me. I know it makes me stronger. I know it connects me more with God, but it kind of gets a bit uncomfortable at times. And isn't the point of running to be able to go further and further into marathon distance? Maybe, sort of, get better at it? And the reason I think that we don't pray is probably similar to the reason most of us don't run. When I first came here to North Pine, um, I joined the P department. This was nine years ago now. And at the time, my head of department was Yarko Tams. Now, if any of you know Yako, he likes to run. He's kind of a marathon distance type runner, gets out to Ironman distances and one day we needed to check out the cross-country track all the way out the back here and and he said oh why don't we just go and run it and i'm like yeah okay good idea (laughs) let's do it um little did i know that he would set an absolutely cracking pace and uh i made it we got there but i'm pretty sure he slowed down a bit to allow me to keep my dignity and not throw up everywhere um You see, most of the books I've read or sermons I've heard about prayer kind of have always been filled with illustration after illustration of people who do marathons in prayer. Martin Luther was in the habit of praying for four hours a day. And when he was really busy, he'd pray for more. And some of us are are marathon runners. Some of us can pray for hours, maybe. But most of us are probably more what I would consider normal people, um, who kind of need a little bit of an engagement in prayer and, and something to engage with. And so I'm going to try to give us a motivation this morning to pray. You see, most people see prayer in one of three ways. They either see it as a platitude, something that we throw away, a comment that we throw away. If you've listened to Donald Trump this last week or two, Every time he's spoken about the hurricanes that have hit the U.S., our thoughts and prayers are with them. But does he really mean that? Does his actions back them up? It's kind of a way to make people feel better. Our thoughts and prayers are with you during this time. Have you ever heard that before? And maybe it was sincere. Maybe it wasn't. The second way we kind of use prayer is like a bit of a crisis management tool. We kind of use it to help people connect to something higher than themselves in times of need or in times of crisis. When they feel a loss of control, they want to connect to something that maybe is a little bit greater than themselves. And the third way people see prayer or connect with prayer is that it is a relationship-building, life-sustaining, daily, sometimes multiple daily occurrence and it's a reflection of our relationship with God. Some years ago, a missionary received a letter from a little girl whose Sabbath school class had been writing to missionaries who were serving in other lands. It appeared that the teacher of this class had obviously told the little ones, look, they're very busy people, don't expect a response. So, the little girl's letter read as follows, Dear Pastor Smith, I'm praying for you. I'm not expecting an answer. I am praying for you, but I'm not expecting an answer. Unfortunately, the simple letter of that little girl kind of summarizes the experience of prayer that many of God's followers have. Perhaps it summarizes the experience of some of us here this morning. Oh, we believe in prayer, but perhaps because of our experiences, we regard it maybe as a a pious sort of duty or a forlorn hope. Yeah, we pray, but we're not really sure if God is listening. And maybe we're not really anticipating an answer. Unanswered prayer is one of the greatest frustrations and the greatest failures of the Christian life. But God never intended that prayer should be that type of experience. Yes, the Bible does admit the possibility and the reality that some prayers are unanswered. But everything in the Bible encourages us to pray the Bible is absolutely full of many wonderful promises, many of which are connected with prayer and the power of prayer. And when you combine those promises, the revelation of God as a God who is open and approachable, who is more willing to answer than we are to ask, there's every incentive to pray. And yet there is so much more about prayer that is mysterious. Perhaps that's why the disciples came to Jesus on one occasion and said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. They had observed Jesus praying in his daily life. They knew that he was a man of prayer and maybe they felt a bit inadequate. Thus their request, Lord, teach us to pray. And in answer to their question, Jesus outlined some principles of prayer. Principles we find in Matthew 6, verse 5 to 13. So in our time together this morning, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If not, they'll be on the screen, but I'm going to use this because I've got it written down, but um, I like to flick through pages. I kind of use this for convenience, but I prefer the pages. So, we're going to look at the four S's that come out of Jesus teaching the disciples to pray. So, if you've got them there, turn to Matthew 6, and we're going to look at the first two verses of that section, 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6. And he says this, verse 5, And when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first principle in this passage... to pray secretly. The first S, pray in private. The Jews as a people cared a great deal about prayer. There is much in the Jewish writings and in the practice that they had that uplifted the, the idea of prayer, but unfortunately over a period of time, this was certainly evident in the time of Jesus, many faulty attitudes had begun to creep in. For example, one of the ways in which a Jew would pray would be to stand Arms outstretched, palms up, head bowed, expressing what should be a wonderful attitude to prayer. It expresses need, it expresses reverence. And yet the trouble was that many who prayed that way used it to draw attention to themselves. It had become an act, an act of hypocrisy. Another practice that the Jews employed was to pray a certain amount of times a day, three times a day to be exact. And again, the motivation for this was genuine. It was very good. It was a way of bringing everyone's experience to God. But again, this practice was subject to abuse because it was very easy for someone to stand in a public place as it was getting close to the time of prayer. And they would start to pray. And of course, people would look at them and think, oh my goodness, look at him, isn't he holy? Or look at how long he's praying for, look at him spending time with God. And Jesus said that with that type of attitude, most people already have their reward then and then. Jesus warned his disciples and followers not to pray like a hypocrite. A person who prays like a hypocrite prays with the wrong motives. A person who prays like a hypocrite perverts the purpose of prayer. You see, they pray only to impress people and not to make contact with God. In fact, there's no meaningful contact with God in a prayer like that. So Jesus said, beware. Don't pray like a hypocrite. Rather, he said, pray in secret, pray in private. The secret of religion, it has been said, is religion in secret. And yet we're talking about more than a physical secrecy. It's not just go and hide yourself in your room and pray there. I think the key phrase there is in verse 6 Pray to your Father who is unseen. What is involved in praying to the Father, in praying secretly? Well, first of all, it means that when we pray to God, we come into his presence without any pretense, without any pretending. You see, in public acts of worship this morning, it is easy for us to take part in those acts of worship and have the wrong attitude. It is possible to stand and preach and not be honest before God. In some respects, this is a person-to-person experience. You don't know how honest I stand before God. You don't know. You can't tell for sure. It's possible for someone to lead out in praise, to lead out in a prayer, to lead out in preaching and not be honest before God. But when it comes to praying in secret before God, there is no way that you can hide. There's no way that you can be dishonest before God. You can't hide from Him. You can't pretend with Him. He knows us through and through better than we know ourselves. So when we pray to God in secret, we're to come without pretense. We're to come openly and honestly about all of our faults and our failings. And that can be scary. But it can also be very liberating when we realise and we remember that God loves us deeply. That His attitude towards us is one of grace and goodness. It is tremendously liberating to be in the presence of one who cares about us like that and we can open up to Him. Praying secretly also involves us concentrating on His presence. It is only in a private place that we can really focus on God on His will and on His glory. Meeting with God in private shuts out the world and it shuts us in with Him. It removes the distractions of others so that we can concentrate wholly on God. Praying in secret also involves being content with only His praise. It removes ego. Jesus said that the hypocrites, they've already received their reward. They may be praised by others, but that is all they're going to get. But he said in relation to secret prayer, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If you go back to the original language, the word that is translated there as reward has the concept or the idea of interest on a deposit. So the idea of, of a guarantee of a promise for more blessings to come. And what are the blessings of meeting with God in secret? Well, the peace of being in His presence, the power of coming into His presence, seeing Him at work answering our prayers, seeing Him at work in the lives of those around us, and yet it's all of those and more. And so here we have the first principle of prayer, to pray secretly, to pray privately. And never has there been a greater time of hustle and bustle where we need a quiet time with God. As far as the time and place is concerned, that's a personal choice. I remember when I first met my wife, she loved to go for a walk along the lake and she'd find this little isolated rock out on a little promontory of the lake and she'd sit there and that's often where I'd go walking to find her because she'd gone missing and there she was. (laughs) And that was her timeout spot, that was her prayer spot, just her and God. It's a personal choice. Only you can make that decision, but it is absolutely necessary for the daily challenges of life that we meet God in quietness and we pray secretly. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8. So have you still got them there? Open back up, and they'll also be up on the screen. Here we go. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus warned against praying like a hypocrite, and here he now warns us against praying like a pagan or a heathen. What does that mean? It means don't fall into the trap of repeating and speaking the same words over and over and over again. Now, in itself, there's nothing wrong with repetition. Repetition can express the burden of a heart, the real passion of what's going on inside of you. And there is a need to express that again and again but here what Jesus was warning against is vain repetition a meaningless babble of words in the pagan religions that existed in Jesus' time many of the adherents of these religions believed that their gods were impressed with the amount of time they spent in prayer and with the volume of words that they used they believed they needed to talk a lot to pray a lot to convince their gods that they were worthy of the requests they were making prayer was almost like a war of attrition Who could last the longest to try to batter their gods into submission? And we have a classic example of this with Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, where they prayed the same words all morning, all day, waiting for their God to answer. That type of attitude is not just a pagan problem. The Jews had a problem when it came to lengthy prayers. Note these Jewish sayings. They come from Jewish writings. Whoever is long in prayer is heard. The second one, whenever the righteous make their prayer long, the prayer is heard. I wonder if sometimes we fall into that trap. Do we sometimes think that the more eloquent we speak, the more likely we are to be heard? that the more words we use, the more likely God will be to respond. And even better, if we get as many people as possible to enlist and in, in, be involved in prayer, then God will have to do something. More people are praying. He's bound to listen when more and more people pray. It's very easy to confuse eloquence with devotion. A huge amount of words for spirituality. Jesus warned, don't pray like the heathen, they pray in the wrong manner, they misunderstand the purpose of prayer and it all stems from the wrong view of God's nature. God is not the type of God who has to be coaxed or pestered or bullied into answering our prayers. He's not like that. God is actually more willing to give than we are to ask. He says that As someone has said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold on God's willingness. And the principle that's revealed in the passage of Scripture here that we're reading is that we are to pray simply. Our prayers are to be simple from the heart. Effective prayer is needy prayer. Our most powerful argument is our weakness. God cannot help himself in responding to weakness, to the cry of the heart that recognises his or her need. And there are so many examples of this in, in the Bible. Some of the most powerful prayers, some of the most dramatically answered prayers were very simple prayers. Think of the thief on the cross. What were the words he said? Can anyone tell me? Lord, remember me when you come. That's it. He was dying because he was a thief and a murderer and whatever else he'd done wrong in society, and he was condemned for it. All he said was, Lord, remember me. And we're told his prayer was answered. The promise came from Jesus that one day you will be with me in the kingdom. The story of the tax collector in the parable that Jesus told, he prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we're told that he went home justified before God. The father of the demon-possessed son cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus heard his prayer and healed his son. You see, God's not impressed by fancy words. He's not, he doesn't care about that. He wants our heartfelt cry. He listens to the cry of the helpless. He understands our needs. He already knows them and he wishes to give. And so we're to pray simply out of our heart of need. So, firstly, we're to pray secretly, and then secondly, we're to pray simply. But Jesus didn't just leave it at that. He showed us how we're to pray simply. You see, simple prayer is specific prayer. We're to pray specifically. And Jesus went on to share a prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. So let's turn to Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13, and we'll read that together. So Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom. In the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer, we probably all, all heard it at some point. Has anyone not ever heard the Lord's Prayer before? There you go. It's repeated and said so many times, but I think we gloss over it. This prayer is made up of six petitions that easily fall into two distinct parts, and we're going to look at that. Here is revealed the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer is to know God. It's to know God's will for us and in our lives. The purpose of prayer is to glorify God. And here there are three specific petitions. In verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first thing is that God's name will be revered. It's holy. It'll be reverenced. The second is... In verse 10, your kingdom come. It's acknowledging that God's rule will be established. The third is also in verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's establishing that God's will will be done in our lives and in our society. And then from the glory of the Father, we move to the gifts of the Father. And they come from verse 11 down. We're to pray for daily provision. Give us today our daily bread, in verse 11. We're to pray for forgiveness and pardon, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 13, we're to pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Provision, pardon, protection. And notice that they relate to the three dimensions of time. Provision for the present, pardon for the past, and protection for the future. In other words, we are to bring all of our time to God, all of our lives, our daily presence, bring it to God. We have the privilege of doing that. Our prayers are to be very specific, not vague or general, but definite and clear. And God invites us to ask of Him, and everything can be brought before Him. Nothing's too small, nothing's too big. There's no issue that's too insignificant that God isn't already concerned about. So we're to pray secretly and we're to pray simply and we're to pray specifically. And underlying all of that is an attitude of submission, humbleness, humility. We're to pray submissively. As it says in Matthew 6, verse 10, it's your will be done. There are many different ways and different attitudes that we can say those simple words, your will be done. We can use those words as a cop-out. just covers all outcomes. Yeah, God's going to, you do it anyway, so it doesn't matter what I think. God's got it all covered, He's doing it, it's His will anyway. We can use it as a cop-out. Or we can use those words in a very fatalistic way. if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, nothing I can do about it. Or we can speak those words in a tone of resentment, angry that God's will will be done and not ours. Or we can offer those words in a spirit of love and trust, and that is how Jesus spoke them. Jesus lived a life of prayer. His whole life was one of submission to God. It was that spirit of submission that brought him to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there, that fateful evening, he prayed the most intense prayer of his life. He prayed it three times. He was going through a terrible agony, and in the Greek word that was used to describe what we read as agony, it depicts someone waging a battle out of sheer fear and terror. There in the garden, Jesus felt the sins of the whole world pressing down on Him, and He felt that He was being separated from His Father. Does it give a different slant when you think about sheer terror and fear? there was one word that made a difference when he prayed. He said, Abba, Father. Thomas Hardy, that great English author of the 19th century, finished his book, Tess of the D'Urbervilles*. Did I say it right? D'Urbervilles. there you go. With this terrible sentence, the president of the immortals had finished his sport with Tess. The president of the immortals had finished his sport with Tess. Now, Hardy was a great author, but he was a terrible theologian. You see, it's not a true picture of God, and yet it's one that everyone seems to think. God's in control, he's playing everything, he's like little pawns on a chessboard. That's all we are. God's going to do what he wants anyway. Yet the reality is, we're not guinea pigs in a lab. He doesn't look at us as expendable items in some great experiment. The reality is that yes, He is the President of the Immortals, to use Thomas Hardy's phrase, but He doesn't regard us as sport. There's one difference, one word that makes all the difference, knowing God as Father, addressing Him as Father the way Jesus did. And that word, Abba, actually means Daddy. So when Jesus spoke to his father in that sheer fear and terror and the agony in Garden of Gethsemane, he used a word a child would use to address their parent, their father. Just like my daughters ask me to give them a bat ride before we go to bed and I hold them upside down and off we go, banging into the walls before we get to the room. Or when they want me to read stories or give them cuddles or when they're terrified in the middle of the night and they cry out, the simplicity of knowing my daddy loves me he's there for me he will protect me that is the word in the cry that jesus used and because jesus knew god as his father because he knew god is love and god is wisdom he could say thy will be done so can you and so can i Because knowing God as Father means everything. If we know Him as a Father who loves us and cares about us and knows everything about us, who has our best welfare at heart, then we can pray in a spirit of submission and we can say, Your will be done, God, in my life. And when we pray in that setting, the stage is set for the power of prayer to be fulfilled in a mighty way. When our lives are about, Your will be done. And so here we have just a few principles of prayer. Jesus laid out these four significant principles to his disciples because they asked him, teach us to pray. Yet there are still many things about prayer we don't understand. It's a mystery. God is sovereign, we are free, yet there are so many things we don't fully understand. Yet God says we have the privilege of praying to the God of the universe as our Father. And in this generation, as has been true of every generation that's gone past, God is looking for people that will pray. Because of prayer, we can never say there's nothing we can do. In fact, prayer is the best thing we can do, particularly for others. It's a secret weapon in God's kingdom. But instead of listening to me talk about it all, I've asked four people that will come up and share some stories and their response to things, so... Nathan and uh, Corbin, Jacques, Marilyn. I was thinking Michelle in my head, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to invite you guys to come up, and I've asked them a couple of questions. And maybe at the end, you have some questions for them, too. No one wants to take the mic first. There you go. There's, there's two mics so you can share it around. All right. So, the first question I asked these guys was How do you like to pray using the four principles that we talked about? How do you like to pray or pray in s- secret? So, who wants to go first? Um,
1: I pray typically um, yeah, in private. I'm a very sort of shy sort of guy, so I pray typically. Um, when I'm in bed, um, uh, I love, as a family, I, I love holding hands when we pray together as a as a whole family. Um, it's just a, it's just there's some uh, intimacy there and a connection there that I think is nice. Um, but I'm a simple bloke and I just pray very simply, um, no big words, just humbly. Um, but I think we'll get to the other questions a little bit later. But for me typically in bed um, quietly on my own or with Carolyn
2: um, I like to pray in my head um, so that's like silently um, I love the fact that um, sometimes just the beach is one of the places that I don't go often enough um, it, it's like a, a place where it's quiet, um, being by myself, and um, I know this sounds terrible, but in the bath.
0: Yeah, I think it's
3: one. Okay, cool. Um, I like to pray a lot, like Marilyn, I pray a lot in my head i i am have I don't necessarily have a specific place where I go to pray but i I don't advertise it when I'm praying I do it more in the where I'm comfortable and where i'm where I'm by myself so I have time to think about what I want to pray about
4: uh yeah I'm probably similar to these guys I uh, do a lot of praying in my head uh, I find it's probably not best time to pray but a lot of the time in stressful situations i I need to throw up a prayer and uh so it's a lot of the time with my eyes open and uh just trying to get through whatever i'm facing uh and it's i guess it just calms me down a little bit
0: so linked to that then how do you how do you use the concept of simplicity in your prayers when you're communicating with god
4: um i guess I guess just whatever's going through my head, I'm just trying to link God into that. So, um, yeah, whatever's running through my mind, I want God to be, uh, I guess, like, hearing my thoughts in a way and also influencing my thoughts to, like, to calm me down, like I said. Um, Yeah, that's probably it for me.
3: Um, Yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not a big words guy. I'm not a, like, most of my words have... uh, Five letters or less. So I remember that from your I'm essays. Playin- <laughs> in your twelve p. Exactly. <laughs> this guy knows what I'm talking about. No, I, I'm not <laughs> humble, carpenter. I'm not. I'm not playing any games. God knows what I'm about, and I try and show that through. Like I feel like I wouldn't. My prayers wouldn't be genuine if I was trying to pray with uh, make big lengthy prayers with arms. Ob- arms wide open. That's just not me. It, like it, it's awesome for someone else if it is, and I fully encourage that. But I, I try and pray how I usually talk and it seems more real to me that way.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I, it, it's amazing. You've probably got four people who are very similar and like um, I just think your vulnerability, um, is, as you said in your, in your sermon, is probably the key. Um, God wants us to be vulnerable because that's when we talk to him. We communicate with him, but you have people like, like, as we grow up, you see these phenomenal um, people who pray, these fervent prayers. And I've been in women's groups that, especially overseas and especially in Nepal, of these women that um, are fervent prayers, and they—they've just got this. It's not babbling words. It's genuinely heartfelt things that they believe are going to happen that God is going to answer because he's done it before and they bring it to God but um, I wish I was that type of woman (laughs) but I'm not Um, (coughs) but yeah it's just the vulnerability I think um, is how I come to God yeah Mm.
1: I think it's about the um, using simple but open language I'm just really enjoying my my prayer life at the moment and, and being I guess a little bit Bold and courageous, to um, so I think we sometimes like I can pray very privately, but there's also the opportunity to be um, courageous. And I mean, yesterday I had lunch with Simon, and then as I dropped him off home, we had a prayer together, and it was just really simple. We're just sitting in the car. I did hold his hand, um, I think, yeah, I did hold your hand, didn't I? And and, um, it was just simple open genuine and it was just you know i left his house just feeling really blessed just because of the i guess having the courage to just say let's pray together um Mm. there was nothing lavish about it but it was just um simple and and genuine so um, but i think i think we all need to i think god honors us um, when we honour Him and to use opportunities and to create opportunities to, to be courageous and to to step out and and, um, and reach out to people and pray for people, um, I think it's important and it connects us to God.
0: So thinking around the concept of praying specifically for something, um, have you ever requested something specifically from God and did He answer?
3: Yeah, I'll start. Um I got married in July, just gone, and my now wife and I were looking for a place and we've got we've got a dog and she's a big girl and she's a bit of a grumpy girl, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you about that, but she ticks a lot of the boxes that people necessarily don't want to have in their house when they're renting. So I I prayed specifically about that and then out of the blue, you know, the perfect house has just popped up and as soon as it as soon as it was a possibility, I knew that it was an answer to prayer on that. And it's hard to sort of, we're in the process of going through, looking at houses and watching them disappear and then getting our hopes set on another house and then having it disappear again. So when this one popped up and it did just fall in our laps, it wasn't, we didn't go looking for it, it found us. There's no way that that wasn't from God. And we prayed specifically about that and he answered. So it was a real, it's a real blessing to this day. I thank him awesome. every day for it. Praise God for that.
4: probably don't have a single story that stands out in my mind about uh praying specifically for something um i do pray specifically a lot of the time and i guess it's just crazy how often you pray for something at the beginning of the day whether it's an opportunity to share god with someone uh that you feel like would benefit from hearing about god or or sharing yeah just sharing something with someone or uh whatever it is It's just crazy how often that opportunity does pop up throughout the day. And it's not to say that I I take that opportunity or even recognise it every time, but I just, you definitely in hindsight can tell that um, those prayers are being answered a lot of the time, even if you didn't
2: recognise it at the time. Um, So I have prayed for something specifically. I'm going to get emotional. This year has been really hard and um, the Refresh family have been amazing. As you know, Simon um, was very sick and so it was about nine weeks ago now, he was anointed so we were thinking that I was thinking because I've got too much knowledge in my head of being medical that he wasn't going to survive. And uh, I prayed as a very specific prayer that God, if I needed to know your will, if it was your will that he lived, then I would be a faithful servant to you for the rest of my life and i had to be calm and in that place where i had to know god's will and if it was god's will that god was to take simon then i had to be in my heart still a faithful servant of god and that's a very hard place to be we're still in the processes of his healing and i firmly believe that god is going to heal him fully And that probably answers to the answer to prayer um, because it was, because I know that a lot of you were praying for him as well, and he's here today. Um, Yeah, Jack was a part of that anointing, and it was a very powerful thing. And if ever I could encourage you, anointing is all about prayer. Um, It's not on your deathbed. It's just of a dedication of your life, a rededication of your life to God. And... um, (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm not typically a bloke who prays specifically for things to happen um, but I could sit here and talk to you for hours about how God has blessed my life beyond measure um, and I've genuinely sensed God's hand upon me and said Jack everything's going to be okay Um, so typically when I pray i don't pray for something specifically i i I more pray for um the wisdom and the peace to deal with whatever situation comes you know i mean besides simon's anointing where we did pray specifically um for his healing i think also there was plenty of prayers about just to be at peace about whatever was to to happen um So yeah, I I can't really answer your question. Do I pray? I don't pray for, like, I didn't pray for Carolyn to come into my life. Um, I'm glad she did, but um, you know, I didn't pray. You know, but um, but there's just another example of how God had His hand on me and said everything's going to be okay. You know, but um, but it's about learning to be at peace and to be content. Um, So that's typically what I pray for and how he answers my prayers because I do have that sense of peace and contentment that he is just guiding and leading in my life regardless of the situations.
0: So it kind of links in really well to that last principle where you're talking about being submissive to God, knowing that it's his will and when we can trust him and we know him, we know his heart, it ties in.
1: If I could just put a little plug in for a a book, um, probably the most powerful book that sort of, head me on this path is the book uh, Jesus Calling, um, just a little devotional, daily devotional book. Whereby it's not about um, typically when you read devotionals, it's about what I need to do. Um, whereas Jesus Calling book is about just how much God loves us, how much He wants just to be a part of our lives. And for us to be grateful, you know, um, and I think that that concept of being grateful in whatever situation um, is a powerful way of connecting to God, just acknowledging him as, your, as our Lord and Saviour and just saying, regardless of whatever happens, I'm going to be thankful and I'm going to be content um, and have a peace and assurance that God is just there guiding and leading. So for me, that's what prayer is about, but pow- powerful book if you ever want to read it.
0: Mm. So... Uh, I've heard a lot of words about contentment and peace. Have there ever been times when you've been angry or upset with God? And how did those emotions impact on your prayer life?
3: I wouldn't say I've been upset, but I've definitely wanted answers. And like, I do believe that God answers prayers, but they're not necessarily always the answer that you're looking for. Like, you I'm a firm believer that he'll say no when he w- when he needs to and it's on us whether we trust him or not but it's um. but it's de- it definitely those no's when they do come they're hard to take you know And you ha- it's always you, you want to know why and you don't necessarily know the big picture yet or know what he has in store for you and it is a, it's a massive faith exercise in being able to trust him and Something that I uh, hopefully am coming to know more and more, but I would say that I wouldn't say I've been angry, but yeah, you definitely want to know. N- you want to know more, and you want to know why he is doing the things that that are that are happening around you. But I think at the end of the day, the the question you really need to answer to God is, do you trust me? And if you can say yes, and you can uh, be okay with not being in control of it, I feel like you he's going to show up uh, exponentially for you
4: Mm. yeah i'd probably uh yeah i guess just to add to what nate says i think sometimes the most disappointing times where i feel like god hasn't answered my prayer or definitely not the way that i think he should have um those have been the times that he's used to help me grow the most um, Mm. because a lot of the time in hindsight i feel like i learned that when God doesn't, hasn't answered my prayer the way I want it it's because I'm not asking the right questions so um, yeah that's probably that's probably the biggest thing that I take away from prayers like that
2: um, There's been a lot of times where Simon and I we always pray about a lot of things especially when we've lived overseas and God's calling to places and um, sometimes they're places that you think, oh, why is sending us there? And um, it was difficult while we're there. Um, and some of the, like, you know, sometimes God um, answers in a way that he opens like six or seven doors, and you can go through any of those six or seven doors, and he's got a plan for you in each of those doors. Um, but he gives you the decision which one to follow, and when we were praying. Um, when Simon had a midlife crisis and wanted to, <laughs> to quit teaching um started working for Adra, you know, the door opened that we went to PNG and I thought that, I just don't want to go there like horrible place <laughs> but it's not, it's beautiful And y- but you now look back on that now mm. okay, and the prayers that you had there and you see why he wanted you there, you see the answers of more developing us and what we've done for other people.
1: I'm pretty sure I have Alzheimer's and I don't really remember much beyond yesterday but um, I don't recall a time when I've been angry with God and said, you know, um, I guess there's been plenty of times when I've questioned and whatnot but, um, you know, I mean, going through it divorce going um, being disconnected from a close family member um, for the last 12 months is you know all those things that have been difficult but I've never sort of been um, you know again it's to me it's been a all around um, asking him for the wisdom and the peace to sort of deal with those situations rather than mm. blaming him for them.
0: So it's still that concept of trust and knowing the, b- the bigger picture that God yeah, has. Absolutely, absolutely. Guys, are there any questions you want to ask these four? Mm-hmm. Um, if Sorry, so, I hey, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't send that in the text message to them to prepare them. <laughs> are there any questions you might have that you'd like to ask? And any anyone can answer. If not, it's okay. But I just thought I'd throw it out. Prayer journals, concept of a prayer journal, what are you guys seeing Does anyone use one or, or have one themselves?
3: No, I. <laughs> my wife just told me this morning that I have like three-year-old handwriting, so for me to have a <laughs> prayer journal, would just, I just feel like it would... You
0: might <laughs> not be able to read it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more or less. So the concept behind a prayer journal is to write down the things that you want to pray for specifically and... with his Alzheimer's, remember what has been answered. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. Are are there any other questions? Like, we've
2: had um, prayer requests. Like, you write down lists. Like, Nikki, this week, um, I knew it was on my list because she she messaged me and she said, you know, pray for the boys, pray for her mum, um, things like that. But they're not prayer journals, but it's something that I actually put into my phone. Like I, mm. I put into my phone, Tiana had her P's test at 9.30 yesterday morning. I prayed for her then and my my phone has to alarm at me to remind me. Mm.
1: And was your prayer answered?
2: It was answered. God was very faithful.
0: Well done. So, uh, question? So anyone want to tackle that one? What, what's your take on public prayer versus the concepts we've talked about with praying in secret or private?
1: I'll answer that question, Roy, by s- making this statement. I think there's very something very powerful about praying in public um, when you're not in a Christian environment. For example, um, there's something very... I think typically as I, when I was younger, um, like if we went out to a restaurant and we would have grace before our meal, it would be mm, Jesus. I'll try to bless, hide in a corner type of thing. Bless the, bless the food, amen. And then um, I think now I'm far more bolder and proud to just sit there and, and praise God for the blessings of having this meal. So I think there's something very powerful about praying in public. Um, as in, not, not again, not about it being um, to be boastful, but to honour God. I think when we honour God publicly, um, He sends His blessings many more times. Um, so I, I'd uphold the principle of praying in public. I mean, uh, um, just this week I've been in, travelling interstate and running some meetings. Um, to, to pray boldly in, in that team of people um, for the Holy Spirit to f- f- guide us through those meetings those meetings this week have just been powerful meetings, spiritual meetings, deeply um, moving and progressive meetings. And I think it's all stems from that public honouring God. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a great place for for um, praying publicly.
4: I guess yeah. just to go with that... Um, yeah, one thing that I guess was illustrated to me once was just that, um, like, you hear stories, like, you hear this example that we went through now about praying privately and how praying publicly can, can be motivated by the wrong factors. Uh, but then you hear stories uh, from, uh, from Daniel about how Daniel opened his, t- opened his window to pray. Um, and I think with a lot of things to do with God, it's a lot more about why you're doing something than specifically what you're doing. So if you're praying privately, are you praying privately out of shame? And wanting to hide what you like the fact that you're praying or are you praying privately because it's a personal a personal connection with Mm. god um and i guess that's just something that uh, i don't think it's a hard and fast rule one's better than the other i think it's just uh yeah a lot of it comes down to what's motivating you to pray right now
0: and i think that ties in that fourth point about the humility the, the the attitude we bring to prayer yeah andrew just repeat that last bit to god about? so that's about the whole control thing again really isn't it if we're praying for something and then actively doing it ourselves yeah. are we allowing god to have His will be done.
2: Um, that was something that, when Simon was sick, um, my medical experience, I was beginning beginning to do too much research. I was beginning to um, asking too many questions of the doctors and stuff like that. And I needed to be to a, in a place where, and that's where I got to it at that fervent, that prayer that I prayed, is I just had to lay it all at God's feet. Everything. I can't do this. And just lay it all at his feet, and it's very hard. Mm. It's extremely hard, but it is a desperation.
0: Uh. Can I just quickly going back to
2: the public um, in Nepal? When we lived in there, Nepal, um, Nepali Christians have been taught to pray publicly, all at once. So when you're in church, they all pray out loud all at once. And uh, has anyone ever been in that environment where that's happened? What? D- explain. Like, it's just um, unbelievable, isn't it? Do you feel? Like, you hear singular words. It's just absolutely an amazing feeling. And I think it's got a huge influence on... Because it's like a hum... And people outside who aren't in the church or hu- aren't in the environment hear it and it's just a peaceful hum. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, last, maybe last question. Anyone? All right. Thank you very much, guys, for um, sharing. Um, before you head off, let's just close with prayer Father God this morning we thank you for who you are for the example that you set when you came to this earth Um, you were going through so much agony in that garden of Gethsemane when you were just beseeching God to, to change his will because of the sheer terror you were going through and yet you had the confidence and you had the attitude of submission to your Father's will and Lord what an example for us Help us as we go through this next week and as we lead our lives to have the attitude of, of humility and submission to you, knowing that you love us so much that your will for us, your will for our lives will be to our benefit. And Lord, we, we place our lives in our, um, our cares, our worries, our frustrations, whatever it is, Lord, that we're feeling, our families, uh, this school, this community, our church, we place it all at your feet, knowing that your will will be done. And we can't wait to see you, Lord, in your name. Amen. So thanks, guys, for coming. This was part two of our three-part series of Ignite. Um, Sorry. Next week, um, Sharon will be taking our last part. Um, Off the top of my head, I cannot think of what the topic is, the third third one. But Sharon will be here next week, uh, along with all of our leaders back again. Uh, Enjoy your Sabbath. Same time next week. We'll see you then.